Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynncullenshow at gmail.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. All righty. I think I got it. I got it here. The most uh, mind-blowing obituary uh, ever. And it's from our local paper, the Post-Gazette. What I do when I'm looking at uh, the obits is I first just look at, they just give all the names, latest deaths. And those are not the obit, but it's just alphabetical order. So I run down the names. And by the way, speaking of doing that, I've noticed that like if I'm in Green Bay and I'm looking at the names in the obituaries there, and then the names in the obituaries here, or the names in the in the classified obituaries in the New York Times. It's fascinating because there are certain you see the ethnicity of the area. There are names. Uh, the Green Bay obits are just filled with the same kind of tons of consonants. Uh, I. And never an Italian. I mean, I, I don't know that I've seen an Italian name in a Green Bay. And you real? I, I, I thought, what? Didn't any Italians come to Green Bay? Ah, Vince Lombardi. He didn't die there. So I don't know. So I go by down the names. I'm sorry. I'm interrupting myself as usual. Um, and I didn't see anybody that I knew. So I thought I'll skip it. But then as I went through skipping it, I saw an extraordinarily long obit. And it stopped me because extraordinarily long obits are almost always, I mean, 99%. There's some white guy who was a mover and a shaker. Um, and it, 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 and it goes on and on and on about all his affiliations and all the amazing things he did and the awards he won, and they're usually very boring. But the picture at the top of this one was of a a lady, a woman, Jane smiling, wearing a very colorful top, and. I thought, huh? She didn't look like a mover and a shaker. And I'd never seen such a long obit for someone who looked like this. And I was not disappointed. Although you could argue that this is so over the top that it crosses a line. I don't know. I'm going to share it with you. I might actually jump over some of it. It's just much. The lady whose picture I'm looking at is Renee Mandel Corin. And it says this. A plus-sized Jewish lady redneck died in El Paso on Saturday. Of itself, hardly news. Or... Good news if you're the type that subscribes to the notion that anybody not named you dying in El Paso, Texas, is good news. In which case, have I got news for you? The body, fertile, redheaded matriarch of a sprawling Jewish-Mexican redneck American family has kicked it. This was not good news to Renee Mandelkorn's many surviving children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, many of whom she even knew, and in her own way, loved. There will be much mourning in the many glamorous locales she went bankrupt in. The Keysport, PA, Renee's birthplace, and where she first fell in love with ham and atheism. Fayetteville and Kill Devil Hills, North Carolina, where Renee's dreams, credit rating, and marriage are all buried. And 
okay, I'm going to jump. Then we get to Miami where everyone else is buried. And then out of nowhere, it says Renee was preceded in death by Don Shula. That, because she was my mother, it goes on. So now we at least know it as one of her offspring that's writing this. Because she was my mother, the death of Zostik, they're very into the fact that she was overweight. I mean, this is the second time we've been told she's big. Um, Because she was my mother, the death of Zostik, good time gal Renee Corrin at the impossible old age of 84 is newsworthy to me. And I treat it with the same respect and reverence she had for, well, Nothing. A more disrespectful, trash-reading, trash-talking, and trash-watching woman was not to be found. Hers was an itinerant, much-lived life, a Yankee, Florida, liberal, Jewish tough gal who bowled them in Japan, rolled them in North Carolina, and was a singularly unique parent. Often frustrated by the stifling conservative culture of the South, Renee turned her voracious mind to the home front, becoming a model stay-at-home parent, a super mom, really. Just the perfect PTA lady, volunteer, amateur baker, and ha-ha-ha-ha-ha. Kidding. Renee, rosy to her friends, and this was a broad who never met a stranger, worked double shifts with Doreen, ate a ton of carbs with Bernie, and could occasionally be stirred to stew some stuffed cabbage for the kids. She played cards like a shark, bowled and played cribbage like a pro, and laughed with the boys until the wee hours long after the last pin dropped. At one point in the 80s, Renee was the 11th or 12th ranked woman in cribbage in America, and while that could be a lie, it sounds great in print. She also told us she came up with the name for Sunoco, and I choose to believe this too. Yes, Renee lied a lot, but on the plus side, Renee didn't cook, she didn't clean, and she was lousy with money. Here's what Renee was great at. Dyeing her hair. Hang on, I've lost my place. This is just, I hope you're enjoying this because this is ridiculous. Dyeing her hair, hair roots, weekly manicures, dirty jokes, pier fishing, rolling joints, and buying dirty magazines. She said she read them for the articles, but filthy free speech was really Renee's thing. Hers was a bawdy, rowdy life, lived large, broke, and loud. We thought Renee could not be killed. God knows people tried. Renee has been toying with death for decades, but also always beating it and running off in her silver Chevy Nova. COVID couldn't kill her. Neither could pneumonia twice, infections, blood clots, bad feet, breast cancer twice, two mastectomies, two recessions, multiple bankruptcies, marriage to a philandering sergeant major, divorce in her 76 kids, one cesarean, a few abortions, or an affair with Larry King in the 60s. Renee was preceded in uh, death by her ex-boyfriend, Larry King. (laughs) Renee was also sadly preceded in death by her beloved daughter, Kathy Sue. Wait, Kathy Sue Corrin Lester Trammell Webster of Kill Devils Hills, North Carolina, who herself was preceded in death by two marriages, a fudge shop, and one eyeball lost in a near-fatal Pepsi bottle incident that will absolutely be explored in future obituaries. Losing her one-eyed, badass bitch of a daughter in 2007 devastated Renee, but it also made her quite homeless, since Kathy pretty much had picked up the tab. A talented and gregarious grifter, Renee eked out her final years of luxury, Uh, under the care, compassion, checking accounts, and evidently unlimited patience of her favorite son and daughter-in-law, Michael and Lords Corrin. 
at a cow sanctuary in El Paso, Texas. Renee is also survived by her son, yada, yada, and is endlessly tolerant like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Scott Corn and was left of his colon. Uh, Mark uh, and Laura Corn, the loveliest dirt farmers of Vernon, Texas, and her favorite son, the gay one, who writes catty obituaries in his spare time, Andy, obviously of New York City. Uh, okay, so it goes on and on. Took pr- tremendous pride in making one gay son and two gay grandchildren. There will be a very disrespectful and totally non-denominational memorial, most likely at a bowling alley in Fayetteville. The family requests absolutely zero privacy or propriety, none whatsoever, and in fact encourages you to spend some government money today on a one-armed bandit at the blackjack table or on a cheap cruise to find our inheritance. She spent it all, folks. She left me nothing but these lousy memories which I and my family of five brothers and my sisters-in-law, nephews, friends, yada, 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 ex-boyfriends, Larry King's children, who I guess I might be one of, the total strangers through all to a person loved and will cherish her forever. Please think of the brightly frocked, frivolous, funny, and smart Jewish redhead who is about to grift you, tell you a filthy joke, and for Larry King's sake, laugh. Bye, Mommy. We love you to bits. What the hell do you think? I'm sorry. I, it, it's so hard to read because it's so, you know, I like to think I read better than that was, but I, I get, I got lost in the, in the print. What the hell do you think of that? I went from laughing somewhat to thinking, nah, this is too much guy, too much. You needed an editor here, but um, you have to admit that's that's not your uh, average obit. And that cost a lot. I don't know what the cost is. You know, you pay to have these put in. Uh, you pay by the, what, word, inch? I don't know. That cost uh, this family a, a lot of money. Anyway, you can send your condolences to postgazette.com. Um, and I might want to check those out and see if anybody... <laughs> Oh, my God. Uh, well, you know, the reality is, is her uh, her son, who wrote this, uh, did uh, provide us a, a sense of uh, a better sense of her lived life than you normally get in an obit because you normally in an obit get that very dry formulaic, uh, you know, married to live there, worked here, did that, blah, blah, blah. And, um, so when somebody cuts loose, (laughs) uh, wow. So anyway, there it is. Uh, that's my, uh, I haven't had an obit in a while, so that's my that's my obit of the week. Renee Mandel Oren, a broad, obviously. Um, okay, so now today, my God, that took up a quarter of the show. Ooh, it was long. I didn't know it was that long. Jeez. Okay. Well, I hope you enjoyed it because if not, I've I've lost the audience. But what the hell? I, you know, I, I I'm not sure what to do uh, with today's show. I have sort of like yesterday. I had tidbits, things. Susan and I were jumping all all over the place, and I'm afraid I've got the same kind of thing happening today. Um, but. I'm going to try, probably unsuccessfully, to steer clear of, you know, the impending end of uh, everything we knew and believed. I, I, I am. I, I, I am. I am. I'm going to try. Um, reading the Post-Gazette today... Um, I 
I was annoyed before I even got off the front page, which is, you know, that's nothing. <laughs> that's, that business as usual. But uh, why do I say that business? I mean, I don't really pronounce business that way, but I, I have taken to doing it. I think I find it business. I don't know. I, I, I like, I wish it were business. I have no idea. Okay, so I was reading uh, the paper, and this, one, this is just on the front page, and this is above the fold, and it's that it was one year ago that the first COVID vaccine was given in Pittsburgh. I think yesterday I saw the same article like this in the New York Times featuring the first nurse who got the first vaccine and how her year has been since. And I'm thinking, this is a waste of precious print. Who cares? I was sort of blown away that it was a year. Somehow it seems longer than that. But okay, so it's a year since the started getting these shots. And I don't know. So they did one locally here, and it turns out the first person here was uh, was an acute care uh, nurse practitioner at uh, UPMC. And there's a picture. They redo the picture of her getting her shot. But here's what happened. I mean, in the second paragraph... It says this. She doesn't remember being nervous. Having, it's a shot. Okay, excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm screaming already. She doesn't remember being nervous, having researched the vaccine thoroughly before the big shot. I got annoyed. Why? Did you research the vaccine? I'm asking. I didn't. I didn't research it even unthoroughly. Somebody offers me a vaccine for something that's killed tens of, you know, millions of human beings around the world. I'm saying, I want it. I want it. I'll elbow people. I was one of the people elbowing people out of line to get it. What do you mean this nurse researched the vaccine thoroughly? Did she really? I don't believe it. I don't believe it. It's almost like this seeped in from what later then happened. We didn't know when she got this first dose in Pittsburgh that it would become a political act. There was nobody researching, individuals researching it. Where are they going to research it? I, 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 I don't even believe I'm sorry. I don't. Okay. That annoyed me. Don't ask why. No big deal. But then right under it, there was a piece about um, two uh, congressional folk from Pennsylvania. One, Senator Toomey. The other, Guy Reschens. Baller, two Republicans, about them putting, uh, trying to get foreign country, crack down here. I'll just read this. They, they want to crack down on foreign countries flooding America with deadly illicit fentanyl. Okay. And then here's what got me upset. And you can see I'm obviously in a very hair-trigger upset mode today. Senator Pat Toomey and Representative Guy Reschenthaler worked across the aisle to tack on an amendment to a major defense spending bill. And I said, I stopped right there. What, what do you mean they worked across the aisle? They're both Republicans. Excuse me. Tell me if I'm wrong. I don't think I'm wrong. Working across the aisle is 
when a Republican joins with a Democrat or vice versa. That's working across the aisle. Who Republicans? You're not working across the aisle. So to me, that is, first of all, how do you not know that? And then, secondly, how does an editor not catch that? They weren't working across the aisle. Just because one's in the House and one's in the Senate, that's not working across the aisle. That's a larger expanse than the aisle. Ask some of the rioters. Took them a while to get from that end to the other end. It ain't an aisle. I'm just saying. That annoyed me. You know how exhausting it is to be somebody who gets annoyed at the two things I just shared with you? I mean, I got to figure that I'm not alone in having read uh, the front page of the Post-Gazette today. And I really wonder how many others uh, who had um, reacted in any way to those two things that I seriously reacted to. (laughs) You can ask the dog because in both cases, I said, what? Dog doesn't even, his ears don't even slightly move when I reach like that. He's, you know, you can imagine you live with me, you get used to it. I'm just saying, odd to me, odd. Okay, so this is the kind of show it's going to be. I'm really sorry. No, I'm not. Uh...
Hello, 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 hello. That was the most bizarre thing, and I'm not sure it isn't going to happen again. I hope you guys are still there. God damn it. Apologies to little who. I'm at blasphemous. Uh, damn it. Excuse me. No apologies at all. Uh, damn. I don't even remember where I was, but I was in fine fettle. What's a fettle? God damn it. I'm doing my show, and this friggin' woman's voice comes in and says, I am sorry. You have dialed 957724, and that is not a valid show thing. Goodbye. Oh, God. God! Remember, remember the promise of technology. Remember the promise of technology, how it was going to make our lives so much easier and so much less stressful and save us time. Do you remember that? Yeah. Ah. Well, Roger, that didn't exactly come in like you wanted to. At the head, the line is bad news. You're back. It's as bad news as what you started with. I know. I thought you. I, I. I know. You didn't mean bad news. You're back. You meant good news. You're back. But of course, it says bad news. You're back. Fuck this. All right. I was in a little bit of a state before. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, I'm gonna continue. I. I don't remember where I was. So. Uh, um, I'm just gonna have to. Pick up. I done an obit, right? I done. Oh, I was doing. No, I did that. Uh, I did the uh, Russian faller across the aisle thing to me. Okay, I did that. And what did? Oh, the primary. I was talking about the fact that uh, Pennsylvania is uh, the Senate, and and this is odd because uh, the Senate which is, of course, Republican-controlled, voted unanimously to uh, move Pennsylvania's primary in presidential election years up five weeks to the third Tuesday in March. I don't know. When's Super Tuesday? Seems to me if it's not if that's not before Super Tuesday, we're still too late to the too late to the ball. Um, I don't know, but I would love to have it moved and have an opportunity to. Uh, although with Pennsylvania, I don't know. I really would though like an opportunity to have that power because it is power. I don't know how this happens. Each state can do. Why would a state want their primary uh, in a place where it's not going to have an impact on the national race? So if every state can just decide on its own when to have its primary, why aren't they all like, uh, you know, why isn't there a, a super duper Tuesday? Why aren't they all just sort of, why isn't there a friggin' national primary that takes in all the states? Why don't we, here's an idea, cooperate. And nobody goes first. Everybody goes at the same time. Doesn't that make more sense? The current system makes no sense at all. So I'm, I'm happy to hear this, but, but it still is dealing with a nonsensical kind of uh, setup. It's stupid. Thank you all for hanging in there if you did. I appreciate it. Not easy being a regular to this program. And speaking of bipartisanship, <laughs> it's starting to sound like, um, you know, um, one of the uh, senators from Georgia, and I love the fact there are two Democratic senators from the state of Georgia. 
want to thank Stacey Abrams single-handedly, practically. God bless her. Why isn't she the president? She's running for governor of Georgia. But one of them, uh, who's a black minister, Warnock, had something to say about bipartisanship uh, yesterday, and I'm going to share it with you. Because I wish somebody would share it with effing Joe Manchin, who's like, you know, his wet dreams are about bipartisanship. Oh, no, we can't do that. We have to, excuse me, reach across the aisle and be bipartisan. Here's what Senator Warnock said. Slavery was bipartisan. Mm-hmm. Jim Crow was bipartisan. The refusal of women's suffrage was bipartisan. The three-fifths compromise, where a black person only counted for three-fifths of a human being, the three-fifths compromise was bipartisan. When colleagues talk to me, Senator Warnock said, about bipartisanship, I ask, at whose expense? Who, who is being asked to foot the bill for this? Perhaps liberty itself is the cost. Now, he's talking about a Voting Rights Act and America being America is up to its old tricks about not being able to agree that voting is the bedrock of a de- – well, I guess we do agree that voting is a bedrock of a democracy, which is why one of the parties wants to curtail it because they aren't exactly uh, into democracy at the moment. And here's something I came across, which I found just chilling. I I, I was reading about the fact that these killer tornadoes uh, last weekend were, as I said yesterday, I was aware here in Pennsylvania, which was not, you know, put on alert. I was aware that there was this band of horrific storms expected to hit in the in the night uh, for these exact dates where it happened. So it was forecast. And one person even said, they actually said at one point that the storm would hit us at 9.30 p.m. And damn if it didn't at 9.30 p.m. So the question is, with so much warning, and with now your cell phone going off, Alerting you. How still did so many people die? And it's a good question to ask. Because you would have had to willfully not know. Now we see that with the level of destruction of this thing, if you did not have access to a true shelter, and most homes do not, a true shelter. You could know, you could try to do, you know, be in the basement under something, blah, 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 and you're still dead. But another thing is something we touched on uh, yesterday, which is if it's known that these horrific storms are going to hit. And yet people are told they have to come to work. Or they cannot leave work to get back to their families. And if some of those people who tried to secure 
a measure of safety because of the warnings is now dead. Is that not the fault of the employer? I, I, I'm sorry. The chilling thing I saw was somebody did a screenshot. Well, it would have been the wife or girlfriend of a guy named Larry Verdon. At 8.22 on Friday, 8.22 p.m., Larry Verdon Verdon, typed into, messaged his significant other and said, I will, I'll be home after the storm. And the response back is, what you mean? Because she's thinking... You got to get now. And his, the last thing this guy ever put on his message was a response to her saying, what do you mean? And he wrote, and it's the last thing he wrote. Amazon won't let us leave. Nothing, nothing did he write after that. Amazon won't let us leave. He wrote that at 822. She wrote back, all it's doing here right now is lightning. And then he didn't respond. And then at 851, she's nervous. And she types in, oh, what are you doing? I hope everything's okay. Uh-huh. He's dead. Amazon won't let us leave the last communication he ever had. I don't know how the legal system would look on something like that. But here's a guy who had wanted to leave. He was told he could not leave. He chose his job, fearful of losing his job. And of course, he lost his life. Incredible. Okay. I'm sorry. I um somebody suggested this is a Kennedy School at Harvard annually presents the Profiles in Courage Award to uh give to people in the political realm who have exhibited extraordinary courage. And what that often means, of course, is that they have done something out of principle. (laughs) That principle somehow trumped politics. Political courage. And people often remark how when John F. Kennedy wrote Profiles in Courage, it was a slim little volume. Because you don't see much of it. We see almost zero now if the person affiliates with the Republican Party. Almost zero. The one standout, the two standouts are, of course, um, Kinsinger of Congressman from uh, Kitzinger, I can't remember, I'm not sure what his name, uh, from Illinois, 
and uh, and Cheney. Now, Cheney, I think, is a remarkably courageous woman. I don't agree with her politics at all. Maybe there's a few things where we can agree. I don't know. The naming of a post office or something. I find her politics make my skin crawl. But she has exhibited that she has character and has courage. And I defy anyone to suggest otherwise. Because if you think, first of all, she's done, as you know. I mean, the Republicans have disowned her. She will be primaried and will lose her seat. But the courage part has to literally do with her physical courage. I mean, there are people. I mean, I, I can't even begin to imagine how many people are threatening her. And out of those tens of thousands of threats that she's probably receiving, as we have now learned, it only takes one. It only takes one. Speaking of that, and I don't have the stuff in front of me, it reminds me that I saw two stories uh, today that I thought, oh, God, help me. One was about a guy who was traveling to Washington, D.C. to be part of the January 6th uh, coup attempt. And uh, he was coming with uh, just tons of weapons, tons of weapons. And he had made it clear to anyone who would listen that he was going to kill Nancy Pelosi. That was his assignment on January 6th, and wouldn't you know it, he had car trouble. <laughs> Which is the only reason that guy didn't make it to the Capitol on January 6th. But he got arrested because of, I guess, probably social media or whatever. He got arrested. The cops found all of this stuff in his car when it finally limped into uh, D.C. And he just got sentenced. I believe he got something like two years, pretty much. Two years in jail. Although he's been in jail pretty much since January 7th or 8th. So he's served already 11 months. So he's going to go to jail uh, for another year, maybe. And then I read that somebody here in Pittsburgh during a Black Lives Matter march had picked up a piece of concrete block downtown and thrown it. And it hit two police officers. They were both said to have suffered concussions. That guy got sentenced yesterday, too. And he got four years. And I was thinking, uh, wait a minute. Uh, we got a system in which an individual judge you know, gets to have this power. This guy gets four years for throwing some, like, a big rock at cops, and and he connected. They're okay, but 
you know, anytime you do something with a to a cop, all hell's going to come down on you. But actually come to the capital of the United States with a uh, car full of uh, weapons of mass destruction and announce that you're going to put a bullet through Nancy Pelosi's head and try to do that. As you know, some of the insurrectionists were calling Nancy. Do you remember that guy? Nancy. They wanted to kill her. Talk about another woman of courage. Wow. Okay. And you know what? I have not talked about, and I've had it and wanted to, and now I'm Johnny come lately because um, it it really sickened so many people uh, and is getting a lot of attention. But I failed to talk about it when I initially saw it, which is the unbelievable picture of these teachers in South Dakota who for entertainment at, uh, I guess, halftime in a hockey game $5,000 was spread out on a mat on the ice. And these teachers were pitted against each other, trying to scarf up as much of the dollar bills as they could. Because this was a way for them to, I don't know, get school supplies. School supplies. So teachers are left to like, I mean, they're on their hands and knees and they're stuffing uh, dollar bills into why people are cheering. It's obscene. It's obscene. This is a country that has no problem throwing Everything, trillions to the Defense Department. And we refuse to arm our teachers with sufficient supplies, books, paper, all of the stuff that is known to be necessary. This is, you know, I think sometimes when things get to where they are in a country like ours, that you realize that who many of us are numb, numb to it. I, uh, There is a case, and I also just learned about this today. There is a case that's right now in uh, in being heard somewhere, Commonwealth Court, I believe, in which I think six districts, six school districts in Pennsylvania, have sued the state because the funding that Pennsylvania gives to its teachers, I'm talking K-12 here, is abysmal. Pennsylvania ranks near the bottom. We're keeping company with the likes of Mississippi, okay? In what we, how, that's our money, that's our tax dollars. But it's the legislature that decides how to dole it out. And man, they don't like giving it to schools. 
The result is schools are funded through property taxes. Whoever thought that one up is obviously someone of white privilege. Because if it's funded, if schools are funded through property taxes, duh, then rich districts will have rich schools and rural districts and often urban districts where a lot of people with not much money and in fact, people living in poverty, so they don't even own real estate to pay taxes on. Those schools are going to be shortchanged. And Pennsylvania has one of the greatest gaps between wealthy and poor districts in the United States. Why is this not something? that we are up in arms about. Why? And you see that there's some talk of the Pittsburgh School Board asking for a raise. And you know what? A tax increase. I'll give them the money, but it's not fair. Because if you look at Pittsburgh's tax base, the people with the money don't have to pay a damn thing. I'm sorry, I'm screaming. If you look at just Oakland, with the hospitals and the educational institutions and the churches, not a one pays. So who's left? I can afford I live in a city in which a lot of people who can't afford live. And so Pittsburgh's middle class and working class have it on their backs. And the state doesn't give a damn. I... This is to me like one of the largest issues of how inequality and systemic inequality happens. Because for the kids going to these underfunded schools who are already dealing with living in places where there's not a lot of money, consequently not a lot of opportunity, and then we don't in any way lift a finger to help them. This lawsuit brought by six poor districts, God, I wish it well. Anyone who thinks that a community's wealth or tax base should determine the type of education, whether a great one or a bunch of crap education, a child should get. Anyone who thinks that that is somehow moral, smart, it's unconscionable. It's unconscionable. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. What are we going to do? <laughs> sorry. Um, okay, I still have a few more of these things that all, any of which is, will set me off, right? Um, wow, I came on this little tip. Do you know 650 people in Pennsylvania died last week, COVID, 650. This is a year after the vaccine came out, 650 dead 
and the numbers here. And everyone's going to be with family and getting together. I'm still trying to figure out whether to join friends for a dinner at a restaurant on the 24th. These are people who I see in their homes. These are my friends. But I, every time I think about going to a restaurant with this new extremely contagious variant about, if you're in a restaurant, obviously you're not masked, nor are the other people around you in the restaurant, nor are the servers. I don't know. They're, so, so why would, for, and I was thinking, is it worth, I mean, the chance it, that that is a risk. I know we have to make these calculations all the time, but when I read that someone my age, I'll be 74 in three weeks, someone my age is at great risk because, first of all, I have Pfizer, and Pfizer apparently ain't doing too well with this new virus. So why would I go? Why? For one night's convivial I don't know. You can tell that if you were to ask today, I'm not going. Yesterday, I was going. But constantly making these calculations. And I know that a lot of people are just doing what they want to do. They say, I'm vaccinated. I got a booster. And if they're young, I guess maybe. But if you're old, this calculation, I don't want to die from this fucking thing. I don't even want to get it. I'll get it eventually. I don't know. I do not know. Um, but I was thinking, what if? So you went, you had a nice time, and then, lo and behold, you get COVID four days later. And lo and behold, you end up in the hospital. And lo and behold, you might be one of the old ones who end up dead. Would it be worth being dead to have that dinner at a restaurant with people I can see otherwise? I don't think so. I'm talking out loud to myself here. I don't know. All right, you guys. I'm sorry. I'm not sure why I said that. <laughs> it's a female thing. We say I'm sorry all the time. I am so, so sorry. All right. I'm sorry for the snafu. And uh, I hope we have better luck tomorrow. Anyway, be safe. I'll see you tomorrow. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Thursday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.